Welcome to another episode of Focused on Christ, where we are passionate about exalting Christ and equipping the church. I'm here with Nathan Smith, senior pastor at Heritage Baptist Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Hello, Nathan. Good to see you again. I am Mike, pastor of Church Communications at the same place. And uh, tell you what, it's an exciting year. A lot of things are happening. Um, and beginning this year on the podcast, we have begun walking through the Bible, talking about various themes and truths within it. Uh, we've been looking at Genesis. And on the last episode, we looked at the creation of man and talked about what it meant to be made in the image of God. Um, I would encourage you, if you haven't listened to that one yet, that you would listen to that one, even before you listen to this one, because that helps set the stage for mm -hmm. God's beautiful work uh, in creating man. Uh, this, this week, we're going to be looking at the event that broke that image, the fall of man and the introduction of sin. Now, Nathan, we're going to go into this a little bit more later, um, but why is it important for us to understand the fall and to spend time really considering what happened there? When we look at Genesis, Genesis begins with, in the beginning, there was God. God created everything. And if we go from that to our world today, mm. then we would leave with the thought of God is evil, God is imperfect, mm. because the world we see today is imperfect and full of evil. But there's an important event that happened between God creating everything good and perfect and the entrance of evil. So this is critical because it tells us something about God. If we went right from God into the world today mm -hmm. without any explanation of evil, then evil must be a part of God. Yeah. The fact that the entrance of sin is divorced from the work of God in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, that God's work is only perfect and good, that tells us something about his character, mm. that everything that God does is always good and perfect. Amen. Amen. And we see that at the end of chapter 1, we see this beautiful thing that God declared everything good. In chapter 2, we see that reiterated, um, that it was all good, and God rested. And then mankind begins working in the garden. And now we're going to walk through really the narrative here and kind of consider where things were, what happened, and then where we ended up. So the starting place in Genesis... Um, Three before the fall occurs, you have this beautiful paradise. Eden is there. Um, where where do scholars think Eden was? By the way, that's kind of a little side question. I know my wife asked me that at one point. <laughs> uh, you should know all the answers. Come on now. Well, you know one one of the things that we we have to state right up front is between uh, between the the creation of the world Eden and the world today is a cataclysmic flood where. Well, the, you think that had some effect? Uh, well, the scripture says that. <laughs> Every mountain was moved out of its place. So I would say yes, <laughs> just, on, just on a hunch. Okay. However, however, um, we, we have some locational guess that it is somewhere in the current day Middle East. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, the Euphrates and the Tigris rivers are actually mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but we should not assume that the flow of those rivers is the same existed the same time before the flood. Okay. So geographically, roughly in the Israel, modern-day Iraq, Saudi Arabia location, right at the juncture point of those mm -hmm. three continents. One interesting note, um, and this is, maybe this will interest no one except me, um, <laughs> but actually in Jewish mythology, mm -hmm. now again, we should assume this is mythology, yep. but Jewish mythology is that creation itself, the creation of man, happened 
on Mount Moriah hmm. or in Jerusalem, yeah. current-day Jerusalem, where, where the temple sits. That creation was there. That's where the Garden of Eden was. The world was destroyed by the flood. Hmm. So the temple being built there, uh, that being the center of religious existence in the Jewish mind, is because that's where creation was. That's where mankind was created. Hmm. And they also believe that the first language that was spoken was Hebrew and that the language we'll speak in heaven is Hebrew. Gotcha. So there's a lot of mythology bound up. Yeah. It's just kind of interesting. That is interesting. So geographically, around that area. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you for... Oh, that was a tangent. (laughs) No, I appreciate that. That's very helpful. So here we have have paradise, uh, wherever it may have been. Um, You have partnership with Adam and Eve in this marital covenant as God brought them together. There is a purpose given to them to populate the earth, subdue it, and to work. Um, and, And one of the most glorious things is they are in the presence of God, that God is with man, he is walking in the cool of the day with them, and there is something beautiful that happens there. Now, there were also rules given. Now, you mentioned this last podcast, but what were the rules given to Adam and Eve? The rules, first of all, were not (laughs) do-nots. We sometimes think of a rule as this is what you don't do. Here, Here are the rules that are laid out. Yeah. Uh, go out and multiply and enjoy creation and, and subdue it and name the animals and walk with God. Mm. Like this is the positivity yep. of the instruction. Do all of these things in a world that is perfectly ordered without weather events that destroy mm. or animals preying upon each other. Uh, everything is perfect. Everything is in balance. Everything is glorious. Mm. Amidst all of that instruction for delight comes one instruction to stay away from. Mm. So there's two trees that are planted in the Garden of Eden. One is the tree of life, and the other one is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You can eat of anything, anything, except this one thing. Don't eat of the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that was the one prohibition. And it's very important to understand that. Mm -hmm. There weren't two choices. There was... A bazillion positive choices <laughs> yeah. and one prohibition. Do we know anything about the Tree of Life? The Tree of Life is... No, we have to be careful about getting into too much mythology yeah. about any type of magical properties, something like a Greek thing with mm-hmm. golden apples or things like that. But the Tree of Life has very deep um, imaging roots throughout Scripture. The Tree of Life uh, is figured in the temple. Mm-hmm. The menorah, the, the lampstand, um, we believe that that is imaging the Tree of Life. Mm. We also see in the book of Revelation the Tree of Life uh, having a central location within the restored heavenly reality. Yeah. So it, pre- it figures prominently. All of the functions of it are somewhat left mysterious by Scripture. Okay. So you have this one tree amidst, who knows, countless trees... Yes. Fruits abounding, um, beautiful plant, just uh, gorgeous. We can't even fathom the beauty and the perfection that uh, because we it's so foreign to us. But a lot of times the question comes up, and this is one of those that trips people up sometimes, is that why even put the tree in the garden to begin with? This is a question that has dogged scholars and theologians for um, for millennia. Yeah. Just the question and the origination of evil and why and what and allow. Mm. The most important thing to realize here is that God did create 
an existence in which the capacity for evil and sin could exist. He mm -hmm. did not create it. Scripture is explicit that God does not create evil, he does mm -hmm. not spawn evil, but he did create an existence through which evil could exist. Mm -hmm. And in the predeterminate sovereign plan of God, um, is it easier is it easier for God to demonstrate his love through a perfect existence where no one has the capacity to disregard him? Or is not the greatest demonstration to demonstrate to the world and the cosmos his universal love for mankind by creating a place where, where evil could exist, that choice could exist, and then God in his grace, despite mankind's rebellion, pursue mankind mm -hmm. and show his love against rebellious sinners. Like that's how deep God's yeah. love goes. So in the grand scheme of God's sovereignty, much of which I, I want to tread very carefully yeah. because some of God's purposes are known only to himself mm -hmm. at this juncture in time, but I do know that the world in which God has created has allowed God to be able to exhibit a kind of love that is beyond comprehension, that we may not have ever seen had not the capacity yeah. for evil actually been present. Well, and I think of even the scripture that no greater love is this than you lay down your life for a friend. I mean, you see that there's a, this is of greatest value, and unfortunately, God, there was no means for him to lay down his life without first the introduction of sin and brokenness into this redemptive history that he is beginning here. Um, and introduction of sin, not by him. Yes, not by and him. And that is critical to understand. I mean, uh, he does not introduce it. Mankind yes. Jesus, which we'll get to that again yes. in just a moment. Yes, which we are coming to. No, thank you for that distinction. Very important. So the rules are given, they're laid down, do not eat. You're allowed to eat all the other things. Um, and then we're introduced to this really interesting character. Uh, in Genesis 3, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. Now the serpent, animal creature, we got some sort of snake thing going on here. But it mentions him as being crafty. This is meaning there's a thoughtfulness, there he's cunning. And he also, we know, knows God's commands, and he also speaks. That's different than any snake. And my son had a snake in his room for a while, and he never talked to me. Um, so what is this creature? Is this Satan? Why do we believe this to be Satan? So this is not a universal statement that all snakes were crafty. Okay. So because uh, when, we, when we look at that, the world, including this snake form, mm -hmm. um, would have been created in perfection. This is specifically speaking about uh, a very particular serpent, okay. which we understand is Satan. Okay. So the person, Satan, that is described in Revelation as the great dragon, uh, the serpent, the diabolical one, the deceiver. Now, who is Satan? Sometime before creation or commensurate with creation. The exact timing is not given in Scripture, mm -hmm. but there was a great rebellion in heaven. So before there was a rebellion on earth, there was a rebellion in heaven. And the one who led this rebellion in heaven was one of God's great angels. Mm. And this great angels drew with him a third of the heavenly host who volitionally decided to rebel against God. They were cast from heaven. They were cast out of heaven into the physical realm, into earth. And so what we find is the this serpent that is being spoken of is the devil, the, the leader of that great heavenly rebellion, mm. who wants to infect creation out of his hatred for God, infect creation with his very own rebellion, and mm. draw more people into that rebellion. 
And so he's going to begin with the first man and the first woman. Okay. And so he enters in, and he, he doesn't come wielding knives and, you know, blazing fire or anything like that, um, some of what the imagery of Satan that we see. He comes in with that craftiness, and he comes in with a lie. He comes in with a lie. What is this big lie that Satan, this serpent, is speaking? Uh, first of all, he corrupts the words of God. He says in uh, here at the beginning um, in verse 1, did God actually say, you mm. shall not eat any of the tree in the garden? Uh, well, God didn't say that. He said, don't eat of only one tree. Yeah. You know, he, he, he corrupted the words of God and created doubt in the goodness mm. of God's character. So the lie is so is so diabolical with just a few words. He is able to corrupt God's words and cast doubt on the goodness of God's character, which then Eve, specifically, mm-hmm. then begins to believe. And in close proximity as well, Adam did nothing to refute yep. this lie. Yep. And the lie then led to action. And that's very important. The lie breathed, mm. the lie believed, and then the lie acted upon. Mm. I think it is to that point of he he sowed distrust in God's goodness. And I, I reflect on my own life and how so often sin kind of assumes the same thing in many ways. It's like, well, God is trying to keep something from me, something that's truly enjoyable or something that I really need or whatnot, and that in itself is believing that lie. Well, God doesn't want what's really best for me. So I need to act in contrary to what he has said, and uh, how how we see that. And then acting today. upon it in ourselves and taking it for ourselves. Yes, because we don't believe God's going to take care of us or yeah. provide that. It could be a spouse or or a job or something. It could be anything. We yeah. believe that lie, and we decide to take it into our own hands to grapple for our own happiness without trusting mm. God. And that's what that's what Eve does. Yeah. Well, you know what? Maybe you're right. So I better grab it for myself right now. Yeah. And we see that in Genesis 3, 6, um, it reads, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now, one of the questions I have heard before is, why is this so significant? It's it's just a piece of fruit. I mean, why is this such a big deal that it would condemn all mankind? So when Scripture lays out truth, there is a very important correlative truth that the, man, the, the amount of truth that we're exposed to, we are accountable to. Hmm. Uh, this is the first man, the first woman, who have direct walking relationship with God, direct communion with God, hmm. even the opportunity to speak with God. So they have a correlative responsibility that actually reverberates down throughout the ages. Mm-hmm. Now, that's in a broad sense. In the specific sense of actually taking the fruit, first of all, they disbelieve God's goodness, they disbelieve His words, uh, they disbelieve His holiness, mm. they actually then assume the right of God, they mm. assume the place of God by not listening to His prohibition, but rather choosing to redefine it according to their own desires. Mm. So the biggest... If, I, if someone to say, what is the sin of the apple? The sin of the taking the bite, let's be careful we don't make it so tangible that we actually neglect what the bite represented. Yeah. Um, here's what I mean. 
when a president is sworn into office, he puts his hand on a Bible and pledges his fealty to the United States of America mm -hmm. and is sworn into office. What is the significance of just putting your hand on a book? Yeah. Okay, we could boil it down there. But actually what is being communicated through that is much greater. Mm. And what is represented by Eve and Adam placing their hand on that apple and taking a bite is they are declaring, I want to take the place of God. Mm. I am going to choose my own destiny, and I will define what is right and wrong, and I know what is best. Yeah. And that is the subversion of God, which is the highest mm. of offenses. And the result of that, of course, is a sin that reverberates down through history. I think we also consider, and, and I think you alluded to it in that, it's, it's a rebellion, but it's not just rebellion, it's who it's rebelling against. Yes. And, I, and I've heard the illustration before, and I think it's so handy. It's like, I can lie to my children and get away with it. It's not going to be a big deal. It's wrong, but I, they're not going to do anything to me. I can lie to my wife, and I'm going to be on the couch for a little while. I can lie to my boss and be fired. I can lie to the government and either be fined, go to prison, depending on the level of the lie. Why the difference? It's the same, same thing, but difference. The difference is authority. If we're talking about the supreme, glorious, mighty, sovereign God of all creation... Excellent illustration. We have sinned against him. Yes. Therefore, it is right that there be such a steep cost. Yes. And I think that's helped, that always helped me to understand that we have to understand, again, go back to a previous podcast, who God is, and it better helps us understand why the severity is there. Uh, yes. If you have a bright view of God, then you will have an, an increased view of why sin matters so much. If mm -hmm. you have a low view of God, then you're going to say the sin, what's the big deal? Yeah. So yes, it does come down to our theological perspective of who God is. So... Here we see, is there, and you, you kind of mentioned it, I'm just curious, is there a significance um, in just how each of these individuals dealt with the temptation? I mean, the, 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 Eve, she was tempted directly, there was you know, a back and forth, and it was kind of condensing into it. It seems like Adam is just like, hey, here's some fruit, and Adam's like, cool, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, is there something to the nature of man and woman, or is that just an interesting, you know, in the story? Well, I think we can speculate. I would be careful to say that some of this is speculation, yeah. and we need to be careful not to go too far beyond that. Um, what we do know is that the serpent is the originator of the lie. Yeah. Uh, the woman believes the lie, and the man does nothing to stop the lie. He's passive. Yeah, he is. Yeah. So, so you, Satan originates the lie. Mm -hmm. And the woman believes the lie. Now, mm. I do think that there are some, so there's some things that we see just in, in society and throughout Scripture that women really struggle with believing lies about themselves, mm. and men do a really poor job about stopping the lie, mm. teaching and leading as we should, yeah. guiding the church as we should, yeah. guiding our families as we should. So I think that there are some historical effects that have carried down through generations because of the nature of the lie. Um, I would be cautious in making any authoritative yeah. statements about because they did this, this is a woman, and because of this, this is a man. Yeah. No no great sweeping statements there. Yes, but it's there just, are some and, observations we can make. Okay. So with that said, the the now, okay, another question. 
Go for I, it. I'm just yes. Go for it. Because you mentioned it. Is was it an apple? Was it an apple? <laughs> oh man! Well, if it was an apple, God shows His handiwork of redemption by giving us apple pie <laughs> and other things, turning something good well, into it something it something is, bad into something good. <laughs> in any image that I see, usually, you know, um, you see it as an apple. Uh, but but is that just simply because an apple is so uh, simple to draw? <laughs> well, this 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 is where Nathan's nerdiness a little bit comes out in terms oh, of good, history. Oh, good, good. Well, let that nerdiness out a little. Most bit. of those images come out of medieval art from the European tradition, and the apple was one of the predominant fruits, prominent that everybody could relate to. Yeah. If they drew a um, a pineapple and she was holding a pineapple or taking a bite out of breadfruit, you know, from some Pacific island, yeah. <laughs> the common person in Europe would be like, what is what she is holding? Yeah. yeah. So, so there, there, there's just some simple historical realities why we have these certain images okay. in our minds that come out of Reformation, Renaissance art, um, Greek mythology. Yeah. I mean, Greek mythology, the, the, the concept of the apple and the tree and the golden apples of Udun and, and others are very mythological. Yeah. And sometimes those images carry forward into medieval art, church art, and sometimes into our kids' Bibles at church. Yes. So is there any indication that it could have been a certain kind of fruit? Because I know we do see some fruit in the temple. Um, isn't it pomegranates that we see? We have in pomegranates. We have fig trees. Those yeah. are the ones that figure most prominently. Okay. So I, I've always wondered if it was a pomegranate, it, that takes a while to get in there. <laughs> it's almost like you really are dedicated to sinning if that's what you're going after. <laughs> so if anybody preaches on, makes an analogy that it was a pomegranate and it really had to get in there, therefore she was really committed to her sin, I mean, you've officially gone way beyond the bounds of what Scripture tells us. <laughs> so we don't know what fruit it is. We do not. But we, we do know that it was consumed in rebellion against God. And because of that, there was a great cause. Now... We're, we're going to get into that cost next episode, uh, so we're not going to hit that too much now. Um, but there is a cost of sin. Where does Jesus come into this tragic event? Because that's where we want to elevate our mind to. It is, um, it is a, an amazing thing to think that sin came into the world because of a lie. And then John 1 says that God came into the world with the Word, mm. the Word, the Word that was God, the Word that was full of grace and truth. We're going to have a living embodiment of truth and power that is going to undo, refute, and depower the lie that brought man into the proximity of death. Mm. And by his Word that refutes the lie, by his Word and power that brings truth, he's going to move us out of death and into life. Mm. And Jesus is the great word that undoes the lie that brought death. Amen. Amen. And what a truth to end on. Nathan, thanks again for the conversation. Uh, I pray it was a benefit to all those who are listening. Well, thank you for joining us here on another episode of Focused on Christ. Next time, we're going to look specifically at God's response to the fall and discuss the effects of the curse that and honest, we, we still feel today, and uh, at the same time, we're going to celebrate the promise of the gospel. We hope you'll join us for that conversation. In the meantime, if you've benefited from this podcast, please take a moment and give us a five-star rating so that others can easily find it. Also, for more details on Focused on Christ, you can visit us online at FocusedOnChrist.com. <laughs>